0: Well, I want to welcome all of you here at the North Richmond Hills campus of the hills and all of you that watch online. And I want to give a personal endorsement to Renew Weekend. In two weeks, every single dollar given will go to bless a ministry in the pamphlet that you received. If you're watching online, go to the website and learn more about these ministries. Because let me tell you, they are ministries with a track record. They are ministries you can trust. They've proven their fruitfulness. Ministries that people from our church are very involved in. And most of all, these are Christ-centered ministries. And so we're not just helping people find financial or material freedom. We're helping them to find spiritual freedom as they meet the ultimate deliverer. And so be praying about your response in two weeks for Renew Weekend. It will be a huge blessing Because people are in bondage. So we're in this series called Alive and Free. We believe that Jesus, who called us from deadness in our sins to life in Christ, hasn't just called us out of the grave, but he's called us out of our grave clothes to walk in freedom because of his resurrection. So we've been exploring in this series what that means. And the response has been overwhelming. This teaching is resonating at a deep level with people. And I know especially last week, as we talked about shame, I was just overwhelmed at the response of so many of you who really do want to be free of that memory of what you've done. But I also know some of you want to be free of the memory of what someone did to you. Everybody gets fouled. But some of those fouls were flagrant. Some of them were completely unnecessary. They went way across the line. And so freedom does not mean that we will never get hurt. It means our fowls are not allowed to become ourselves. Because here's the thing. It doesn't have to be my fault to become my prison. And your growth in freedom will never get better as long as you remain bitter. And over 30 years in ministry has persuaded me that bitterness is one of the least admitted and most committed of all types of bondage. And the sad reality, it is a prison that we don't just live in, but that we guard. Because we actually possess the key that will let us out of that cell. And the key is forgiveness. Because conflict is a part of all creation. And so, I came across a website called The Science of Us, where research is shared. And one of the recent uh, surveys was on the role of forgiveness. It was called 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. And scientists have studied forgiveness in the animal kingdom. Because all creatures have conflict. Primarily, they worked with primates like gorillas or chimpanzees, but they even worked with other life forms known for their orneriness like goats and hyenas. And here's what they concluded, that almost all animals after a conflict express some kind of conciliatory behavior, nuzzling, uh, embracing, something like that. In fact, let me just read what they concluded. The only species that has so far failed to show Outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. (laughs) Like we didn't know that. I've been saying this for years. Do not email me, because here's the truth. Your cat is thinking, why even pretend? I never liked you in the first place. But the reality is, conflict happens. And what are you going to do when it does? Scripture warns us, Hebrews chapter 12. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Scripture compares bitterness to a poison that ironically you take yourself because you're upset with someone else. And it feels empowering. It feels strong and right but the reality is it is enslaving so on the same website they shared research of another study where people were asked to remember a conflict and they were divided into two groups one group had forgiven the person and one had not and they were asked to do a simple exercise just lock your knees and jump up as high as you can and they found the people that had forgiven could jump consistently over three inches higher and here's what the lead researcher concluded a state of unforgiveness is like carrying a heavy burden a burden that victims bring with them when they navigate the physical world forgiveness can lighten this burden so here is secular research saying if you walk around in unforgiveness there are Physiological consequences. It's actually like you're carrying a weight around with you. It may feel empowering, but it's actually enslaving. Holding on to wrongs never turns out right. Because bitterness is bondage. It binds me, for example, to my offender. Bitter people allow the person who fouled them to live rent-free in their brains. They give to another person control over their experience of peace and joy. Now, the offender is responsible for the foul. But the one fouled must accept ownership for their response because here's the thing the offender is not the one guarding the prison in fact they're probably not even thinking anymore about the foul that is dominating your thoughts so for example several years ago when lebron james left cleveland to go play basketball in miami a lot of people in cleveland were angry and they took their lebron jerseys and they burned them do you think that hurt lebron That only hurt the fool that spent all that money on the jersey. And now it's gone. And that's what bitterness does. It gives to someone else control over your experience of joy. And it also binds me to my fallen sense of fairness. So when the Bible says, do not repay anyone evil evil. Do you really think it means anyone? Because the bitter person plays the exception card. Oh no, that that doesn't mean me because well, you just don't understand my situation. And they play the exception card because the bitter person is always keeping a scorecard. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. But bitter people keep detailed journals of wrongs. And the bitter person makes themselves the focal point through which they will interpret the events of life. Now, did you hear what I just said? Because God should be the focal point. We should interpret life through the lens Of what we know about the goodness of God. But the bitter person says I'll take that place. And in the place of God the bitter person decides I can assign motives. I can read hearts. And I can decide what the judgment ought to be. And anytime you get your thinking out of line with the wisdom of God. We talked about this two weeks ago. Then you allow in your mind for the creation of a stronghold. A pattern of thinking that creates a place for our enemy to have influence. Because ultimately, bitterness binds me to Satan's agenda. I invite Satan in when I don't throw resentment out. And some of you have been astute enough in this freedom series to recognize we are ultimately talking about spiritual warfare. You have a real enemy. The Bible calls him the devil or Satan. He is a real, evil, malevolent being. He hates you. And he wants you to stay in bondage. And you cannot overcome him By gritting your teeth and getting advice from afternoon TV. You need divine empowering. You need to be aware of what he's doing. And so, for example, Paul writes to the Corinthian church because a man was engaged in flagrant immorality. And Paul said, you need to discipline that man so that he'll repent. And he did. So in the next letter, Paul writes to them and he says, When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. Now watch. So that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. In other words, Paul says we know Satan loves to traffic in the realm of unforgiveness. He loves to operate where resentment exists. And so... Because he is attracted to grave clothes. You need to know that even if he did not commit the foul. He will always immediately show up to try to exploit it. So Paul told the Ephesian church. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now it's not wrong to be upset about injustice. But it is wrong to respond to your wrong. In a way that enslaves you. It's your responsibility to use the key to get out of foul jail. And so a few verses later Paul tells you exactly what the key is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. As well as all types of evil behavior. How do I do that Paul? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You're thinking, well, Paul just doesn't know my situation. Oh, wait a second, don't go there. Paul wrote these words from prison. You'll be hard pressed to find anyone who experienced more injustice in their life than Paul did. And he said, don't stay in foul jail. And so, a couple of years ago, a popular game crossed many of your computer screens and your phones. It was called Angry Birds. Be honest. How many have played Angry Birds? Okay. I've never played the game. So I might be wrong, but I think I understand the concept. There are some Angry Birds. We don't know why, but they're angry at pigs who live in structures that for some reason need to be punished. So with our skill of punching a button, we launch angry birds at the structures that collapse on the pigs, and this is considered victory. What happens to the bird? He blows up. Question. Why do I want to be an angry bird? When trying to destroy the person I'm angry at. Is destroying me. Here's the truth. It isn't just my offender. I release. When I forgive. I am releasing. Myself. And to. help put a face to that truth. I want you to hear the powerful testimony of my friend Rick.
1: My name is Rick Sinrod. You know, when I was four or five years old, just sitting on a park bench next to my father and just him telling me, you know, I I wouldn't see him again. And you know, at, at that age, you don't really understand what that means. But it was true. And I never saw my father again. The development of anger and bitterness didn't happen right away. It happened over a course of of many years. You know, we we would have an annual conversation. He would call the house and, and they would end with a promise that I'm gonna come see you. You know, I love you, I'm gonna come see you. And after the fourth or fifth time, you, know, you start to see a pattern of false promises. And, uh, and I basically wrote him off. I said, I don't care anymore. I, I want nothing to do with you. That's it. A couple years into our marriage, Lisa's friends relocate close to us. They invite us to church on Sunday. Rick was going through a series called Greater Than. And that Sunday, he happened to be speaking about greater than your past. I, I think the direct quote that Rick had was, God is greater than anything you've done or anything that's been done to you. And I'm sitting in this pew bawling my eyes out. And it culminated in the end of his sermon. The request was simply to write down that one thing in your past that's been controlling you, the one thing that you can't get over. And so with tears running down my eyes, I just wrote, My Dad. And I can't tell you how powerful it was just to write something down that has impacted your life for so long and that has controlled all of your emotions and how you viewed relationships and people and just tear it up and say, no more. I'm not, I'm not held hostage or in bondage to this anymore. I'm no longer captive to this feeling of anger and resentment over my past. So over about a year time period, I began to wrestle with you know, what is a life in Christ like? And what does that really mean? And I knew that it was time for me to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So as I truly struggled with what it meant to be a Christian, I knew that I had to do what God did for us. And what that move meant for me was to write a letter to my father. Um, basically, close to 30 years of, of anger bitterness and resentment put into words in the form of a letter and at the end of it I basically said I forgive you and it it didn't really change anything in terms of a relationship with my father but at the at the time it didn't matter what it meant ultimately when I reached out to my father in forgiveness I didn't do it for him I didn't do it for an enhanced relationship with him. I did it for an enhanced relationship and a closer relationship with
0: my father in heaven. You see, we're talking about where we really live today. Every one of you has a memory or a story similar to that. And that's why Jesus talks so much about conflict in the Gospels. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus has almost nothing to say to the person who committed the foul. Almost everything Jesus says is to the person who got fouled. Like, for example, in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching us to pray. And he says... Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And then in Mark, Jesus says, when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And then the hardest one of all for me is what he said in Luke. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day. And each time turns again and asks for forgiveness. You must forgive. Now, let's be clear what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending. Pretending that it didn't happen. Pretending it wasn't a big deal. Pretending it wasn't wrong. Pretending it didn't hurt. And forgiveness is not naively reestablishing trust. There are people you need to forgive that don't ever need to babysit your kids or handle your money. And forgiveness is not reconciliation. Understand the difference. Reconciliation is a two-way street. It takes two people to reconcile. But it just takes one to forgive. You can forgive someone whether they want to be forgiven or not. You can forgive someone whether they think they need to be forgiven or not. You can forgive someone who's not even alive anymore to receive it. Forgiveness doesn't always heal the relationship. But it heals you. Because you are free when you renounce hatred and the need to see vengeance and you release the offender and the offense to God. You get to leave the cell. You see, forgiveness frees me to trust the justice of God because the reality is we're not very competent in justice collectors. Now, I'm going old school. In the early days of TV, there was a show called Amos and Andy. Amos and Andy were friends. Amos was the wiser of the two. And he sees his friend Andy on the sidewalk one day and notices a bulge in his shirt. What is that, Andy? He said, it's some sticks of dynamite. Why are those in your shirt? And he mentions a friend who always pats Andy on the chest and it annoys him. He's always coming up and doing that. So today when he does that on my chest, it's going to blow his hand off. And the truth is, when we get in the justice business, we almost always fail to consider the collateral damage we're going to create, even to ourselves. Now, if the gospel is not true, if Jesus is not the son of God, he didn't die for your sins and he didn't come back from the grave, then get even with all the people you can, as soon as you can. Because there's no promise things will ever be right. But if the gospel is true. If the Jesus story really happened. Then you realize that when you forgive you're not forfeiting justice. You're transferring it to the one who bore all wrong. You're not letting your offender off the hook. You're putting them on God's hook. You see, forgiveness is an act of faith that God is better at justice making than I am. And it says, I don't have to be paid for wrongs. That Jesus went to the cross to pay for. And that's important when I consider how many of the wrongs that Jesus paid for are mine. Forgiveness frees me to receive the grace of God. Because unforgiveness at its core is a failure to embrace the gospel. So Jesus tells this story. About a person in debt to a master. And he owed more than 800 lifetimes could pay back. And the master stunningly. Extravagantly. Forgave him. And then he went out and found someone that owed him a couple of days worth of money. He wasn't unaware. He was unwilling to forgive. And he threw that guy in jail. And when the master found out, he was so angry. You say, well if I forgave it wouldn't be fair. Forgiveness has never been fair. Grace is not fair. We don't forgive because they deserve it. We forgive because we didn't deserve it. And God gave it to us anyway. And so, if we don't give it, we still don't get it. We still don't understand in its essence the message of the gospel. Because free people don't spend their time focused on what others did to them. They focus on what God did for them. Free people love to take communion. Because when they hold that bread and that cup. They realize how much unlimited grace they have received. And they know they cannot then go and dispel grace in tiny, measured little amounts? I'm not asking you to pretend that what happened wasn't bad. I'm asking you to realize that grace is so good. And when we walk in grace... We look good. Because ultimately forgiveness frees me to display the character of God. Free people don't respond out of their hurt. They respond out of God's heart. So, for example, Jesus said, okay, let's get real. The world is hard and people are ugly. What are you going to do when somebody slaps you in the face? I want you to turn the other cheek. Now, what is Jesus saying? That we should just condone abuse? No. He's not saying if you're in an abusive situation, you should just stay there and get more. What he is saying is that you don't ever give to somebody else control over your emotions and attitudes and actions. The foul may not be your fault. But the reaction is your choice. And the new you does not have to live in that old cell. You can choose to use the key. And so a few verses later, Jesus says, here's the key. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in that way. You will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Do you realize that your best opportunity to reflect the character of God is right after you get fouled? You cannot change the past. But you do not have to be chained to it. And so, after 27 years of horrific unjust imprisonment, Nelson Mandela was released from a South African Prison. And he says as he walked across that prison yard, he felt anger welling up as he reflected on what his 27 years in prison had cost him family, friends, his movement. And then he says he heard an inner voice say to him, Nelson, for 27 years. You were their prisoner, but you were a free man. Now that you're a free man, do not let them turn you into a prisoner. And that inner voice is the Holy Spirit. Who can empower you to be a supernatural forgiver. Because He's going to get you out of that focal spot and put Jesus there. So that we interpret life through Him. Because you see, it all comes down to what you magnify. The Bible says magnify the Lord. How do you make God bigger? You don't. But you can focus on God so that your experience is bigger. See, we all basically magnify something. And you can find a wound and you can stare at it through Your magnifying filter and it just gets bigger and bigger and it can take over your life. Or you can put Jesus and the cross in the lens and it can get bigger and bigger and pretty soon you see everything through Him. And when you are set free by Jesus, you still get hurt. But you realize it hasn't made my wounds more important than his. Free people allow the scars of Jesus to shape who they are more than their own scars. And so they don't just survive fouls. They over them. Now I recognize the last couple of weeks have been hard on us. I asked you two weeks ago to go public with an area of your life where you wanted release from bondage. And over 2,000 of you had the courage to do that. And then last week. I asked you to be honest about that moment in your life that you wish you could do over and release the shame to God. But this week might be the hardest of all. Because we're not going to take our shame to the cross. We're going to take our wound. I know forgiveness is hard. It's a process, not just an event. But you have to start. And the best place to start is by obeying Jesus and praying for your enemy. And that is exactly what we're going to do right now. Bow your head, please. I want you to think of that wound that is the hardest to heal. See the face of the person that was responsible. And now, release that person to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing and it's even harder. But we're going to obey Jesus. I want you now to ask God to bless the person that hurt you. God knows what's best for them. So ask for God's favor, for God's best for them. Oh Lord this is hard but we don't want anyone to control our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions except Jesus so for his sake and in the power of the Holy Spirit help us get free amen please stand upstairs and downstairs prayer teams are taking their places the spirit is nudging listen to the inner voice come and ask for more prayer come and receive healing come and receive Christ because here's the thing if you're not a Christian you can't give grace you've never received So come and confess Christ and get baptized today. Go public for Him. There's nothing more beautiful than the blood of Jesus. And life changes when we start to interpret everything through the gospel. So let's pray and let's praise while you come.